Tribe, the podcast in which we examine the commitments which power us. My name is LR, and on today's episode, I talk with Matt Collier, who is the chef and general manager at Seeds Library Cafe, which is in the Boulder Public Library main branch, and which has a great coffee program, as well as restaurant-quality, affordable food. The food's awesome. Also, Matt and I collaborate on pop-up dinners around Boulder. We have one coming up on New Year's Eve. Matt's six-course menu features New Year's dishes from around the world. And as always, dinner is in a secret location. You can find out more information at blankplateboulder.com. Since Matt has lived, breathed, and internalized so much about topics a lot of us are merely passionate about, basically all we talk about is food, cooking, and restaurants. If you start your day out with Soylent, this might not be the episode for you. Then again, maybe it's especially for you. Whatever the case, I hope you get something of value out of it. Cheers. Seeds Cafe is so awesome. You just give like a little overview of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Seeds Library Cafe was originally started up as a cooperative effort between the farmer's market and the Boulder Public Library. The library wanted an actual cafe in here because for years, even when I was growing up here, they had just a cart in the corner just did coffee and steamed milk and some Italian sodas. But they wanted something more substantial. I seem to recall like a, mach- a press button machine. Oh, there was at like some point? Like a push button, okay. yeah. Like they must have one of those reverted things. to that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the library did, as, as David, the director, says, libraries go in cycles. And um, when he started, it really was, you know, like six years ago on that bottom end of the cycle mm-hmm. and needed to be brought up real quickly. And so that's what they did, the remodel, you know, revamp kids section, maker space. And part of that was having a sustainable or no a fun cafe and the director of the farmer's market had a great idea of kind of trying to show people what can be done with local food throughout the year and so they started up the cafe I came in about a year after it started and you know we have a lot of goals and far-reaching things that we try to do but the main aspect is just with the cafe we try to say Everything we have there, at least 75% of it is either grown or produced in Colorado. For the most part, we're way above that. Even our packaged goods, the ones that might not even be grown, the products be grown, they're all produced in Colorado. And then our savory program is closer to 95%. You know, you have basically salt and sugar and some spices, and that's about it as far as what we bring in from outside of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, everything else comes from within the state, and the majority of it, um, we can put a first name to the product, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, you really have a better understanding that your food's going to taste good when you know who's growing it and how they're growing it, so you don't have to do as much to it to get to the end product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but besides that, we also do farm dinners. We've done dinners on site, do a lot of catering in and out of house. Uh, like we teach uh, adultology classes here at the library about cooking. Yeah, just lots of fun things. Anything involving food, we're down to do. And we're looking to kind of grow now that the library has all their construction done inside and out. So we're trying to utilize that beautiful space outside in the summer and springtime and have some dinners on site. Really get people walking by and intrigued about what's going on at the library because it is a very vibrant community space right now. We want to keep pushing that so we can bring more people in and kind of, as David likes to call those library cycles, really slow that cycle down and keep us at the top of that circle mm-hmm. as long as possible. My mind immediately goes nitpicky. Like, things yeah. like flour, is that... 
Yeah, flour. It, for a while, it was hard because most of the, there was flour grown in Colorado, but it was shipped out of state. You know, Nebraska, Kansas, milled, uh, mixed with other flours from other states, and then would come back. Now there is a company, Bay State Milling, out of. They're actually their base is out on the East Coast, but they do this at a couple places around the middle of the country here, where they actually have people that grow the flour and they start up mills again, and they have the mills going, and then so our flour is grown, milled, and. Well, yeah, pretty much stays in the state. Well, um, our cornmeal, you know, that was the hardest one to find for a while. Occasionally you could find some Bob's Red Mill, stuff like that. This year they had Colorado. Uh, oh, really? Next year it would be something else. And you could do your research and find something, but luckily enough we have uh, farms like Aspen Moon who over the last four years have grown cornmeal and then just continued to exponentially grow their production of it. Mm-hmm. And so they do a ton right now. They also do two different kinds of heirloom wheat. This is their second year for that, so that's kind of their next year will be pretty big on that one, and there's a lot of traction between restaurants, bakeries, things like that. And then the demand's there because mm-hmm. people know it tastes better. You get over, you know, enriched and over-processed flowers. It's just it's garbage. So when you know who's handling it and it has a short shelf life for a reason, but it tastes better. Mm-hmm. So. And they grow all that Basically right here in Boulder County, in Longmont? Yeah. No, they actually do it up um, in conjunction with, uh, or on the land that is Boulder Valley Waldorf School, right across the street from IBM mm-hmm. on Diagonal. Mm-hmm. That's where they have their large, that's where they do their wheat, their pumpkins, their corn for cornmeal. They're kind of long-term, easy crops that don't need a lot of day-to-day care. Uh-huh. Those, those crops fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. You all bake your own bread here with that flour? Yes, right now we're using, well, we're using cornmeal in a lot of uh, pastries and things like that. We use the kind of the base state still. Um, we're trying to figure out what best way it is to incorporate like Aspen Moon's flour. Just, you know, one of our main uh, objectives when we opened this was to keep all of the prices low, good food at a low price. Mm-hmm. So, so using their flour 100% in everything, we're not quite there yet, but we are incorporated into, you know, some scones or some baked goods here and there, a little bit into our focaccia, mm-hmm. which we use. Which is your sandwich bread. Which is our sandwich bread. Which I just had my first Seeds Library Cafe sandwich and it was awesome, actually, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah no, the bread's great, great. yeah. yeah. We, like I told you earlier, we stole it from an old Italian woman, so. Uh-huh. I thought it was Francesca. <laughs> Francesco. Francesco, yes, but it's his grandmother's recipe. Oh, got it. (laughs) But I did give his mom some free cappuccinos when she was in town, so so I smoothed it over. (laughs) Sounds about right for uh, Imperial United States dealings, yes. And one of your, one of the things I've heard you say a few times Mm -hmm. and and read in the cookbook that you helped write is that one of the reasons you're doing this is because you would like people to learn how to cook. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the goal, I mean, for... You know, if anybody, especially if it's been working in back of house for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, you've seen nothing but kind of a downward slide of, of most restaurants. The when you, level when, you say, of, when you say back of the house, you mean yeah, in the kitchen, in the the kitchen. restaurants? Yeah, yeah, and working in the kitchens. Because there's, there's definitely a, a more increased, you know, want to have good food and want to go out to restaurants. Therefore, it creates more business. But it kind of reached that bell curve where everybody was getting really good and there were a lot of great people. But then every one of those people became chefs and opened restaurants. And so, you know, when I the number I always throw out of people is when I started cooking in town, there were about 75 restaurants here in Boulder. And now there's over 400. Mm-hmm. And that's not just here. It's everywhere. So if we could get people to understand food value food more they there'd be two things one they would just cook more at home and so they wouldn't go out as much and then they would go to restaurants and say well this is not that great 
because mm-hmm. the talent level at most restaurants has gone downhill. Mm-hmm. The chefs might be great, but if they don't have that supporting cast behind them, you can't do it every day yeah. by yourself. So, so yeah, so my goal is to shut down restaurants. It sounds bad, but the more people cook, the more they value food, the more they understand it. And then the more they drive restaurants to give them what they want, which is good, local, well-grown food. Then that take down, takes down carbon emissions from you know having to transport food all around the world. It, it's not saying that we have to stop eating avocados altogether, but right. if you can see the value and see the worth of local food throughout the full year, mm-hmm. we can, as individuals, make change. And food is a major contributor to greenhouse gases. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with driving mediocre restaurants out of business. Yeah, no. So many places, when I'm in them, I'm like, this exists only because of one person's will to open a restaurant. Yeah. Not because there's necessarily any talent behind that will. Oh, yeah. You know, and just, which kudos, right, for getting it done um, and doing what they could with what they had. But, but yeah, so often... Uh, you know, so often I'm in a place once because it's so so mediocre, and then I'm in the next place once, and then I'm in the next place once. Right? Yeah, and that's the so. sad thing. It's like it, people ask me what's a good restaurant. It's like I don't know. I haven't been there in two years. It, it's complete. It's literally completely different every two years. Yeah. Every restaurant in town is is a different restaurant every other year, every two years. Yeah, and it's just nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's just natural in restaurants too, right? People are. That's not necessarily because of the expansion. Right, yeah. it's because of the type of person who goes into restaurants. And your beginning in restaurants, you were in, you went to college. I forget what you were studying. It was, I want to say it was math based. It was computer science. Computer science. Yeah, yeah. No, I started um, it, all through high school. Was into computers. Started college knowing I wanted to do computer science, and after about a month, realized I can't sit behind a desk my whole life, mm-hmm. and so went back to what I enjoyed for most of all my life, which was art, and did a lot of different mediums. Um, and was, you know, doing everything from metalwork to pottery to uh, charcoal, trying to do photography. And then, you know, while I was doing that, I went back to community college to do that because I didn't want to waste a ton of money on um, something I didn't know exactly what I had a direction on. And then a friend got me a job in a kitchen here in town called mm-hmm. Chautauqua. When it was owned by or one of the previous few owners, it goes through hands quite often. But yeah, worked up there, did well, got transferred to their other restaurant after the summer at Full Moon Grill, stayed there for three years and it was a perfect balance of art and math and science because you need all of those. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. especially cooking in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, you need all of those to, to be successful. And it also helped out because I always hated my artwork. So there was many times I would give it away. I would destroy it. I would, mm-hmm. And this was perfect because, you know, at the end of the day, nothing you made was there anymore. Right. It was always gone. Right. And so you get to start new and uh-huh. not even worry about it. So. Uh-huh. There's a word, uh, I mean, first of all, the, the pop-ups that we collaborate on. Uh, sometimes a blank plate, right? I love yeah. that idea. Like this, every time it's a blank plate. Yeah, kind of do whatever we want, even though there's certain conventions that we do follow. And early on in my restaurant going days, uh, I loved setting tables. Mm. This was, not restaurant going, restaurant working. My, yeah. my first restaurant job, I loved setting tables. And I mean, I loved that there was. I knew why there was a whole new world there every mm-hmm. time. And uh, I came across this word in a book palimpsest and I didn't know what the word meant and I looked it up and it it means something that's erased and written over okay. and I was like oh wow this, that was while I was every night clearing tables what was the word again palimpsest p-a-l-i-m-p-s-e-s-t that's a good word. I'll link to it in the show notes yeah. uh, but uh yeah so I mean it's a palimpsest right every night you have a a, a blank plate or a clean slate and uh, you can tr- you can try again right and improve right yeah, yeah, right. improve, change completely, mm-hmm. just do the exact opposite, whatever. That's why it's fun, yeah. Uh-huh. 
which is why the pop-ups are fun i hope for you yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As you know like the around the world new year's which this should come out before the new year's pop-up but we're doing an around the world menu yeah uh, and your menu is awesome for it you know? yeah and hopefully that's fun for you because you get to stretch yeah luckily enough boulder's kind of a international hub it seems like so uh-huh. i have been reaching out to the russians i know or you know, the Iranians I know and trying to ask them questions to uh-huh. get specifics because you can only go off of recipes and things for so long. You need a little bit of insight. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you, you've been reaching out to people, asking them questions about these traditional yeah. dishes? Oh, yeah. Well, not even the traditional. You know, like the one thing I saw that would be a good accoutrement on one of the dishes, which was a Russian. It's apparently big in Russia. It's a shrimp-flavored spreadable cheese, uh-huh. and I wanted to know if it is good can they find it you uh-huh. know so uh-huh. still waiting for an answer on that one but oh wow yeah shrimp flavored spreadable cheese now yeah some yeah. things i understand where they came about like exactly. fish sauce. yeah i can't really no but it's head. big and you know you know you could see it working with certain things and it having that kind of umami feel to it and you know in my head i could i could taste what certain spreadable cheeses with a little bit of that seafood taste would you know it'd be pleasant yeah, in, yeah. in certain small amounts but yeah it's apparently a giant big spread in russia so uh-huh. so you started cooking here mm-hmm. i don't want to get like i don't want to do a whole life story but yeah you, yeah you did a bunch of restaurants here you went to chicago and yeah know. i was i worked here i was actually applying to the cia the culinary institute of america in uh, upstate new york and got one of the people i knew who i worked with but was working at the kitchen that uh, was a week away from opening he told me that it was uh me being a sous chef already, me being cooking for four years, and the level I was at, it was just kind of a waste of money that I should save my money and travel, go some places that have better kitchens, more experience, and try to learn there. And then the next two people I got to write letter recommendations all said the same thing. So I decided not to go to cooking school. I ended up working at the kitchen right when, you know, two months after it opened for about two and a half years just to save some money, and then went away to Chicago mm-hmm. and worked there for about four years. Got to work with... Uh, Paul Kahn, and uh, was a great chef at pretty much all of his restaurants at the time, did a little bit of time at Avec, a little bit at Blackbird, then helped up, opened up Publican, helped open up Big Star, which is a taqueria, mm-hmm. and then came back to Colorado. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who doesn't know, like yeah. these are, like if you go to Chicago, when I went to Chicago a few years ago, like these are the restaurants, right? Like if you look at Yelp or if you Google best restaurants and an eater article comes up all those restaurants that you just mentioned show up on the list yes and they that restaurant group now they had that was their third and fourth restaurants uh opening and now i believe they have 15 different restaurants open Mm -hmm. so and Mm -hmm. that was what i guess 10 years ago now did you work at avec yeah i worked at avec for uh i did double time i was working at avec and blackbird basically waiting for the public to open they're kind of next to each other Mm -hmm. they're right next door to each other Uh yeah um, how would you characterize Avec? Because I know at least one chef here who that's his favorite restaurant in the world. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah. No, Avec's just, it's really small. It's really, um, it's really close. It's, it's literally just a small hallway. And there's just a three-man line there with uh, uh, wood-burning ovens. Uh, one has gas going through. The other has wood on it. Um, you know, a lot of tapas-style stuff. Just good food. Nothing super fancy. That's more of like the Blackbird side of it on mm-hmm. the other restaurant. Mm-hmm. But just it's just a really fun place. Yeah. Great wine list, great beer list. Just a really small, cute little place done well yeah. with awesome food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, neglected to mention, I went because of his recommendation. Oh, okay. And it was awesome. I mean, yeah. I went solo and sat at the counter and yeah. chatted it up with some people. And yeah, it was awesome. Cool, warm space, though. Yeah. 
yeah, it's great vibe. Always a good feel. Yeah. And um, yeah, it does it, it gets rented out a lot for like industry people like getting married and their small wedding parties going. You know, because mm-hmm. it's just such a good feel to it. Yeah, so, one of those places. Yeah. Is there anything you learned from Paul Kahn that pops in your mind that that was like invaluable? Oh yeah, I mean the one main thing he taught me was especially helping to open up restaurants was just do it right. You know, spend the money if you have to, spend the time if you have to, but do it right so you don't have to do it again. You know, because I was there at his other restaurants when they were first opening, they didn't have the means, and so they were still you know ten years and eight years respectively after they opened, they were still piecing together stuff, still fixing stuff, still things weren't right. But um, the publican was done really well when it opened. You know, Big Star, it's been open for like eight years now, and it's still the exact same as when it, I mean, after the first soft opening, we had to rearrange all the kitchen equipment. Oh, really? Still the same now, but yeah. Yeah, we had it just set up poorly. So everything flowed to one side, so one person had to finish it, which happened to be me. Uh-huh. And it was restaurant <laughs> week in, in Chicago, so it was like, you know, Marcus Samuelson and Alice Waters and Mario Batali, and, you know, every chef you hear about was mm-hmm. literally at Paul Kahn's Taqueria mm-hmm. at our soft opening. And it was horrible. Mm-hmm. But it was just, you know, we stayed there till 3 in the morning, rearranging everything, and it was fine the next right. day. So and the next day, you start yeah. again. Yeah, Blank exactly. plate. Yeah. Big taco, nuevo. Yeah. So, uh, did you have a favorite of those restaurants? If I were to go to eat at one, it'd probably be Publican. But my favorite was Big Star, just because I really had to dive headfirst into the culture. And there are some people that write cookbooks uh, for Mexican cuisine, mainly uh, Rick Bayless and Diana Kennedy. Diana Kennedy. And um, their books together, it's they just really go into the culture and really go into the people. And understanding that, it gives you a really firm understanding on the food and how beautiful it is. Most of the Mexican food we eat in America is just filled with shortcuts and easy way outs. And it's so simple to make Mexican food that it's, once you understand that, it's just ridiculous that people don't do it this way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was really able to dive into that culture and really fell in love with it, fell in love with the people I worked with. You know, we started with six other people besides me and Justin Larch, who was a chef. And when I left, there were 33 people that worked in the kitchen. You know, now they have a separate restaurant where they have all their prep team at and uh-huh. you know it's even bigger now uh-huh. but um, just really diving into that and understanding the culture was was wonderful I'd love to do that more where you can actually just go head first into the culture and have the food almost be a secondary part of it uh-huh. Rick Bayless uh, like Mexican kitchen was uh, or authentic Mexican I authentic Mexican yeah. yeah that was one of the first five cookbooks I had yeah right. and Diana Kennedy has one you can't really get it in print now but you can find used copies it's called my mexico uh-huh. and each recipe is like a two-page story on the family oh well. and it's broken up the chapters are broken up into regions in mexico yeah and so it really does it's yeah and those are some of the best recipes she's printed i think yeah. you know yeah so the rick bayless thing uh, i just know that he takes his whole team down to mm-hmm. mexico once a year or at least did i think he's yeah. a lot bigger now uh and it's not a great first cookbook or you know third cook because there's so many steps yeah because of what you're saying like yeah, yeah, no shortcuts. No, no. I mean, it's it's once you get used to it, it's easy. It's like you know to toast the chilies. You right, know exactly. to, you know, you're toasting certain spices. You just go through them after you know it. You just look at the ingredients and you can make it. Right. Um, but you just have to go through the steps. You don't have shortcuts. No. And you don't water things down. Right. Yeah. No. And the flavors are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago, and then. Back here? Back here. Yeah. Um, bounced around for a little while. Um, you know, was opened up Tiaco in town, worked at Oak at 14th as a sous chef, was at 
um, the kitchen and the upstairs, you know, and I think that was part of my problem. Um, I was used to bouncing around so much after going to Chicago and working at, because I did work at not just at those restaurants, but a few other ones, helped some friends open some. So I was working all the time at different restaurants and it was really hard to find my place, mm-hmm. um, which is odd that now I feel I found it, but it's at a library. Right. But right. yeah, it's just, you just find a place that feels good to you and where you can grow in whatever way that might be. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been here now? Uh, two years. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, I guess I want to, I want to back up to Chicago one more time. There's one yeah. question I wish I'd asked is like, what was your mindset at the time? Like you were bouncing around, probably working crazy 70, 80 hour weeks, I'm guessing. Oh yeah. I mean, especially opening up uh, big star was the first six weeks I had one day off and all the days were at least 14 <laughs> to 18 hours, but I loved right. it. Right. It was the same when I helped up, uh, you know, helped friends open up like the dry room, late passage, or when I first started working at Boca, I took the, my first job was actually at a restaurant called Boca. Um, but I took the job there because, uh, the chef was awesome and he'd only been there for a month and it was chaos. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one thing I've always, uh, thrived on was trying to make order out of uh, chaos Mm -hmm. and it was it was just a lot of fun and so and the big thing about Chicago especially at that time was this the amount of people that cared in the back of the house Mm -hmm. and that's one of the kind of issues with Colorado's people are out here for the lifestyle not necessarily to be got it artists and but there that's all everybody cared about Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of friends that I'd never worked with Whereas in Boulder, it's pretty common that people that work at certain restaurants don't necessarily talk to people that work at other restaurants yeah. for no major reason. Right. There's just not that coming together. Yeah. And that's what Chicago had, and that's why it has such a great food scene is because it's people pushing to other people, mm-hmm. whether they work with you or not. Mm-hmm. It's they're sharing recipes, they're sharing ideas, concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, it's a feeling of there's nothing is owned. It's all shared knowledge uh-huh. just to make us all better. Because we all felt the same way out there was you put me and you want a line together, I'm going to do better than you. Uh So there's that attitude, but I'm going to tell you everything I do, but I can do it better. Right. So, yeah. I didn't realize that that's been my experience in Boulder, and I didn't realize part of it was I stopped partying as much. So I just Mm -hmm. thought I wasn't meeting all the other restaurant people. Mm -hmm. But it's just a cultural thing. No, and you you can go out, go go find a group of cooks and go out and see how much they talk about snowboarding or rock climbing or mountain biking. Whereas there it was this new cookbook or I'm right. doing this right now, or hmm. we tried this and this new pickling technique or, Interesting. you know, we have this awesome kraut going or whatever it might be, uh-huh. but it was always food based. Got it. And so it was easy to be driven because everybody was, and it was encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine in New York, I asked him what his favorite restaurant job was and he was at Charlie Palmer's Oriol in the early years. Right. And yeah. he said like they would finish service. They would all, they would all have a beer or two or, or maybe it was just open beers mm-hmm. and then they would start prepping for the next day. Yeah. Like right then. And that was his favorite job. The, the vibe that you're describing. I mean, I've helped open restaurants in the front and you just get in that, in that mode. Yeah. Yeah. It's so invigorating. So, so have you found any of that here at Seeds? It seems like you've found a home, like you just said. And well, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not necessarily like positive and exactly where it needs to go because in my mind where I'm just shrinking way down where there's the main people who touch food is me and uh, this gentleman Howard who I work with and he's great because he's he owned a bakery for a long time but well, he's been cooking for years and years and years mm-hmm. and so what he might lack as far as technique uh, from past experiences he makes up for in flavor and taste uh-huh. and so we just work together so I know it's always going to taste good mm-hmm. which is you know a big weight off your shoulders because that's the number one 
fear and why you have to watch everybody like a hawk is because is it going to taste good? Right. Could you describe how it's laid out? Like, uh, just oh yeah. In the when cafe, you say when you say it, I picture exactly what you mean as far as so few people touching the food. But. Oh yeah. So I mean, it's a tiny cafe. We have a staff of five people. Total. Um, total. Yeah. And um, you know, we do. We have an offsite facility for larger events or two, for our two baking. people are on at any. Yeah, two people. It's basically barista and somebody cooking, and then they both run the register. Um, on the cook side, we have two little convection ovens, um, induction burners, and a panini press. So no hood system, no fryer, no nothing like that. Mm-hmm. So, it, But that also really helps us highlight the vegetables because there is a lot of fun stuff with raw vegetables and, you know, raw vegetables that people don't think you should be eating raw, like thinly shaved beets and, mm-hmm. you know, other things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we just try to highlight the season's bounty. Mm-hmm. What I, what I tell people is that, and I think you've heard me say this, it's like, it's be, it's way better than you would expect a library. It's like restaurant quality food in a, in a, that happens to be in a library. Yeah. And if you didn't know, I mean, you wouldn't even know to order lunch there, really. No, we get a lot of people, they'll get coffee from us for months and then they're right. like, oh. Yeah. And then they, they, you know, that's been my big downfall and that's why uh, my partner Carly's been there a lot to help out with because she's little more vocal on letting people know that we are owned by the uh, the farmer's market and that we do know where all our food comes from mm-hmm. and that it is as she puts it she says she feels better after she eats a meal yeah. you know in a lot of places you might feel a little weighed down or yeah tired yeah but no i mean i had that sandwich today and i was full mm-hmm. and it still was i mean it was anasazi bean hummus and yeah. vegetables and a little chev it was not not a gut bomb by any means no no yeah, yeah. we stay away from that yeah Try to do more color than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you just wrote a cookbook. Yes, yeah. We, um, which was uh, another, I think, really important kind of step in, in having people not be afraid of cooking because this one was a cookbook that was done for the um, county of Boulder, basically for the SNAP program, uh, SNAP participants, uh, lower-income families uh, that get help with food. If they're able to spend these SNAP dollars at farmer's markets, they get double that amount. This is a program that's been going on for two years now. After the first year, they found that there were a lot of people that just didn't know what to do with the food. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they contacted us, and we wrote this book for them where it's just simple recipes going through the seasons, you know, trying to break down as many different foods that are grown in the state as possible mm-hmm. so that if it can be just Boulder County or hopefully they don't lose the funding around the state and they can still continue to do it other places. But, yeah, it's just a nice, simple cookbook. Um, they give it out free to the SNAP participants. Uh, the Boulder County Farmers Markets decided to publish some as well and to sell those and have we can have some proceeds go back into it as well to keep funding it. Uh, luckily enough, you know, we're losing some federal funding, but with the sugar tax, the great part about passing that bill was that the funds are directed to basically only go towards uh, food programs like this. Hmm. So... A lot of the money's going into the SNAP and the double up and helping to fund that. Are you happy with the cookbook? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I just I just wrote down a bunch of recipes. They made it look really nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something you want to do again? Oh, yeah. No, it was fun. It was easy. And it seems I'm surprised, pleasantly surprised how many people want to buy cookbooks that mm-hmm. are using local fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've only, you know, the farmer's market's been selling it for a little while, but we've had it on our little merchandise shelf for just uh, two weeks now. I think we've already sold like 20. So it's very encouraging uh-huh. that cool. people want to buy it, people want to use it. And, and yeah, it's it's a positive sign. Just sold here? Is it anywhere else around town? Just sold here right now. Yeah, they're basically, the main ones are all given out free and they're only given out to uh, SNAP participants. But uh-huh. that's why we're trying to uh, sell some as well to raise some additional funding. Mm-hmm.
Oh, uh, you had mentioned the adultology before. Yeah. So that's a those are programs ran run by the library. Yeah, they're they're put on by the library. Well, the library um, basically schedules them and um, you know gets our room and then w- works with us on the what our classes are going to be on. You know, we've done everything from cooking with honey to preserving to fermenting and kombucha making. Um, we just did one on mixology. Brought in a local um, syrup maker, uh, Patrick Noel uh, of Bougie Syrups, and he did a great class, and he'll probably do some more, whether it's twice a year or quarterly. We're still trying to figure that out. You know, we have one coming up on, what is it, uh, sauces, uh, salsas, dips, kind of easy holidays things over the winter, or winter time stuff. And then we're also doing one on stocks. We're going to do some in the fall where we're going to bring in some farmers and do one on easy kind of home farming and what works, what doesn't, so people understand. And, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And surprisingly enough, we've had very good turnout. I always learn something because we have it very open. You know, I have kind of a, a loose guideline of what the class is going to go over and depend on the class what recipes we're making and we go through it. But, you know, we open it to questions, and it's, it's always awesome questions. You know, sometimes things I don't know and, and other, you know, people in the class might have an idea of and we just kind of talk about it, but it's, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's encouraging to see everybody's really excited about learning how to ferment things, mm-hmm. how to, you know, pickle stuff, how to jar and preserve. And hopefully next summer we'll work with the farmer's market and the library and do something outdoors where we can have a very large scale kind of jarring class where families can come and everybody gets their hands on it. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's at least getting something ready, jarring it, they can take it home, and that way encourage them to go out the next week or the week after, buy a bunch of stuff, start preserving. Mm-hmm. That's the main way to have a fun uh, array of flavors in the wintertime uh-huh. is by in the middle of summer doing your work and doing your preserving. Uh-huh. And we lose sight of that so much. Right. We're all the grasshoppers nowadays. What do you mean by that? Oh, the ant and the grasshopper. So the ants would work all summer, mm-hmm. you know, and be able to survive the winter. The grasshoppers just go and play, uh-huh. and, and they don't do anything, and then, uh-huh. you know, they end up dying. Not that we're going to die because we don't have preserved food, but, right. you know, maybe 300 years ago. Do you have any suggestions for how to cook more regularly? Oh, yeah. Just um, don't burn it, and <laughs> don't be afraid if you do. You know, it, it, mistakes happen. If you have an understanding that... This is what I'm doing because you will get better at it the more you do it. But when you start off, just have an understanding this is what I'm doing. And so don't don't have other distractions, you know. Don't have the TV going, you know. Don't put something on and then I'm going to go do this right now. Mm-hmm. Just kind of focus on it as you're doing it. Um, don't be afraid of failure because it will happen. And and understand that there is there is no perfection in the world. So mm-hmm. if it's not perfect, okay, well, what do I do next time? But I'm still going to eat it, and it's still going to taste okay. Right. You know, it's, right. it doesn't have to be perfect mm-hmm. um, because it never will be. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing is, is when it's not – you see that from a lot of people. When it's not perfect, they want to just throw their hands up and I quit. But mm-hmm. it's okay. Like what you get out of something that's not perfect is hints on what to do better next time. Right. And so you just have to understand that it will always be a learning curve and you will never know everything and no chef does. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's the best part about the job is you learn every single day. And I think that's the main difference between people that want to do it as a career and people that are just everybody else sure. is they have that understanding and, and want to learn and do better every day. Yeah. And even if it's like everybody in the world tells them it's awesome and perfect, they're like, well, I could have done that differently. Sure. So, so yeah, just understanding that nothing's perfect. Don't be afraid of failure and respect the food. Mm-hmm. You know, what was it? Thomas Keller said something to the extent of, um, you know, if you understand who 
as many hands and lives and souls touch each thing, mm-hmm. you know, another, it's not the animal or the person who cut the plant or the person who packaged it or the person who drove it or, you know, understand how many lives are involved in it. And once you do that and you really think about that every single time you cook, you really won't mess things up that much. Yeah. Cause you care too much. Right. So, right. I think that's why it drives me. I mean, I want to frame it positively, but it drives me crazy when I see a server with a plate of hot food standing talking to someone finishing their conversation yeah Yeah. we're so close we're so close to finishing yeah the job and you're just hanging out finishing a sentence uh so i don't know just feels really important to me energetically to get that food out yeah yeah. asap Mm -hmm. we're right there we're the last link so any hacks cooking hacks i know that's a it's a trendy word like for me learning about like shortcuts or the most important for me learning about the use of acid to Accentuate flavor was one of the most important things I learned because salt is an obvious one. Yeah, but I mean, it's understanding that balance. You can't have salt without sweet. You can't have, you know, um, acid without fat. It's just understanding that balance, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's needed. Mm -hmm. Um, Like any pantry item you would recommend someone to have more than, like for me, it's like sherry vinegar, right? Like, uh, or anchovies. If, if I were, Oh yeah. Well for us, especially with doing this, it's been, it's been like, that's why I I don't even have an answer because I've been having to go away from my normal pantry items. It's like, Oh, well, all I have is apple cider vinegar. Okay. Well then we'll just make our own vinegars, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Uh the watermelon or next year, we're definitely going to try plum and some other fruits. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, for us, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, you want your salt, your sweet, your spicy, you know, I, I always, I always say, I always enjoy putting some spice in almost everything Mm -hmm. to the point where you don't know it's there. Right. But I feel that that's a component that a lot of people steer away from when it's in there. They don't necessarily know it, but they're like, why does it taste better Mm -hmm. when you make it? Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, a little spice. You have to have, yeah, you have to have something spicy in it. It's like it activates, but you don't notice it. Yeah, exactly. I hear a lot of unsubscribe in your story, or at least I hear a life that's not a subscribed life. And uh, we heard the origin of that was computer science, and you decided that was not for you. Are there any conscious decisions along the way or any challenges? Was there any wavering along the way? Do you ever see friends buying a house and being like, I should have done computer science? Yeah, no, for sure, because there's definitely been that, you know, whether it's not, you know, whether it's um, friends that I worked with out here that didn't go and just stayed with the chefs they were with mm-hmm. and you know um because that's a lot of things that chefs do reward rightly so is that kind of dedication you know and so when they open up other restaurants you get part of that or, or whether it's friends like there was a guy specifically who he got me the job in cooking and then me and other friends quickly realized you know through that summer that he was not that good and he had a new child on the way so i got him a job with my parents in telecommunications and he's mm-hmm. still doing that and he's going on trips all the time and uh-huh. you know and the house and the whole nine yards and yeah um but honestly no it, it, i don't have any regrets about it because i especially now i feel like there's actually if you would have asked me six years ago i don't know what i would have told you but now i feel that there's more purpose mm-hmm. and that there's you know i'm not just going through the motions Mm -hmm. of life i'm trying to make a change and trying to have other people see that change Mm -hmm. um so that we can because i've you know it's easy to to say that this this you know world's going to hell in a handbasket but i think there's a large group of people that are just patiently and um, constructively trying to change that Mm -hmm. and the more that we can enlist people to do that and get outside of 
what's the easiest, best way to make money? Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, what's the best way I can change the earth and I can change, you know, um, our society and our community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are more people coming over to this side. You mentioned, I mean, you, you have a wife and two children. Yeah. And you mentioned that Carly, you mentioned Carly as a partner. Yeah. I just want to make clear that she's your partner slash wife. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like, especially in business, it's... And she's involved here. Yeah. She's involved here, and it was kind of hard to get her into that because she didn't feel that she has the experience as far as restaurants go. But she has experience with farms and, and with communicating that to people. I'm not the best talker in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know... I mean, she'll tell you for the most part, I, I don't love people. I like uh-huh. to, I like, you know, go home and, you know, have silence and just uh-huh. have my boys and, and we hang out and then, you know, that's it. But my experience of you is that because this kitchen is so open, I mean, you are, you are a really great server chef or chef I server. Could, I could fake it. Yeah. I don't think you yeah, fake yeah. it. I mean, uh, anyway, so <laughs> maybe you're faking it, but uh, there's, there's definitely a, a hint of authenticity in there. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you care about what you do and you care about you can care about people without wanting to talk to everybody, but you know, being in this position and in this job, um, in this field, you have to, and you have to, um, you know, and I genuinely do care about everybody. And I think that comes across like how you say, but she's just really good at uh, getting that point across. She's really good at drawing the connections for people. And to, she boasts because I can't, I think, you know, I I don't, I don't have that ability to like talk great about myself, Uh, but she can, and she does. And so that helps out. And so that's why, you know, with this and moving forward, it, it's great to have that kind of um, that partner where I can say it's not just me. It is us mm-hmm. and it is us going forward at it together. Whatever we do after this venture as well, it's like, OK, well, I want you to be part of it because I can't imagine anybody being able to help me out better than you can. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you get to raise two children because you're working in the same place and you can. Oh, yeah. You can finagle your schedules. Oh, yeah. Like you've made it happen. Oh, yeah, we can work the schedules, and, you know, um, our oldest is 12, and he occasionally helps out, and he loves it, so cool. it's fun. Cool. Like three-year, five-year goals? Oh, okay. Um, well, I'd love to see—it's so hard with this with seeds because you don't know exactly what the next step is with uh-huh. the Boulder County Farmer's Market, with everything like that, but we're just—we're doing well, and we're progressing, and I want to just see that progression go. Um, personally, I'd love to have, uh, you know, our own business— of some kind there's many ideas floating out there mm-hmm. um but whether it's um you know small startup with our gluten-free donuts mm-hmm. or whether it's uh you know a full on restaurant out in the country mm-hmm. or you know even a farm um but you know sometime in the next five years probably get something going ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah the last couple things is just to like as more of a I find that there's a revulsion to the word foodie, but and uh, I fully embrace the word foodie. Well, I uh, hate farm to table. So there everything <laughs> comes from a farm. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> that is that is awesome. Uh, yeah. I just want to geek out in a more foodie way. Yeah. For the last couple of questions, uh, favorite restaurants in the world, like favorite meals, two, one or two or three. Oh yeah. Um, oh. So the Bristol in Chicago was definitely one of them. Early, early on, when I first started cooking Babo in New York, mm-hmm. that was probably 15 years ago, mm-hmm. was probably one that sticks out. Do you know when that was exactly? I don't know if I was there. It was, um, it was summer, late summer. You know? Yeah, that was 11 to 13 years ago. I mean, I did have, I did have a gentleman server, so it could, you could have served I me. was a bartender. So, oh, okay, so you uh, couldn't have. I was uh, sitting upstairs. Uh-huh. Uh, but that and then, I mean, while we're on the point there, it's like there's the best thing I've ever eaten um, which was literally just a bite, and it was uh, cured ham, 
from actually Batali's father's place in, in was it Oregon? Seattle. Ar- Seattle. Armandino. Yeah. 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 So from Seattle and a guy I knew I worked in within Chicago had it. His dad sent him out a piece and we sliced it thin and there was another lady who was there making cranberry sorbet and she just used Paul Kahn's kitchens to make sorbet and it was just like a bite. But it, it was, um, it literally tasted like you had all of Thanksgiving dinner in one bite mm. that was sweet and savory and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And um, it, that has stuck out among eating in, you know, right. $400 restaurants or right. every place in the world. Right. And just like that bite, for some reason, has always uh-huh. stuck out. Cool. Um, it was just a perfect pairing. And I don't think you get that often. No. Um, people think they do or think they make that, but it's really like the getting close to that. Getting that close to like a perfect bite is insane. Mm-hmm. So, mm. and it was just in the back of a kitchen uh-huh. in the middle of the day. Right. Yeah. I definitely have some memories like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and not quite as intense, but like those informal, just yeah. how did this happen? It, like, it's why you do it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Because you're around food all the time. And so that kind of happenstance happens more often. Yeah. Because it's around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any seminal cookbooks that like just like blew your mind or continue to blow your mind? Well, there's a lot of, I mean, anything, um, anything Alice Waters does is always a good start. Like I said, Diana Kennedy books were really kind of eye-opening as far as uh, understanding the culture mm-hmm. um, has that big of an impact on the food. And then nowadays, I just go through as many as possible. It's just fun to see other people's, you know, not necessarily even look at the recipes, but just what flavors they're putting together mm-hmm. and how can you draw comparisons to that between what you have in season and what you have around so now I just fly through a ton of them. Anything else you want to have out there in the world? No, nothing giant. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, thanks for taking the time, first of all, because you are the father of two and running the Seeds Library Cafe, which is seems like it's more than a full-time job. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's, it's, it is yeah, it, it is one of those labors of love. Yeah. So it's easy to do. Yeah. Makes it easy to wake up at 5 a.m., uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or four, I've heard you Sometimes, say yeah. Well, yeah, three yeah. on Saturdays at the market because we were making, like, donuts. Yeah. Yeah. And come try gluten-free donuts. They're awesome. Vegetable-based. Uh-huh. So anything Names. from sweet potato to butternut squash to apple to spinach and beet. And mm-hmm. um, we even did some weird ones in the summer, like cucumber donuts. Which what, What's down there right now? Uh, what we had today was a uh, butter, uh, butternut squash donut with a white wine glaze. So well, it was actually a gastrique that we used at the book lift dinner that I did last uh-huh. week. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, what's your favorite gluten-free vegetable-based donut? Oh, I do like the butternut squashes or the pumpkins. They just seem to make it really moist. Um, also, apples, when you use applesauce and cut up apples when mm-hmm. it's that time of year, are good. And one we'll have to bring back. It's like bacon cornmeal donut, so that's all in the inside. Mm-hmm. And then a coffee glaze because it just feels like you're eating uh, full breakfast. Cool. Yeah. I've said this to other people. I'm not sure I've said it to you, but, but like, you know, when we met, we were at the kitchen mm-hmm. and I remember when you came in, we had just gone through, you know, one guy who had been there, one executive chef, mm-hmm. or, uh, sorry, chef de cuisine, yeah. one chef de cuisine who had been there for a while had left. And then we, we blew through a few people yeah. and, and then you came in and it was obvious to me, like you were the first one who like understood what it took to run a high quality restaurant kitchen successfully. And I remember early on someone saying to me, a guest saying to me, like the food keeps getting better here. Yeah. Right. And it's at a 10 year old restaurant, uh, which is no small feat. So, uh, I mean, I attribute that. I don't think they're, you know, they're, they're people who have balance in, in life. And I just don't think that like one of the chef de cuisines before you, I just remember like 
he would walk out at like 5:30 most days and i'm just like oh, wow, yeah. like what's going on here like there's just you just can't like even if you're there at even if you're there at seven in the morning that's just not you can't do it right like no, that's yeah. just that's just not that's not the way the food's going to be great if if they're not there for most or all of service yeah most or all of the nights right yeah so it's been awesome to work with you a little bit with the pop-ups and they've gone seamless because of you and seeing you there and seeing you here uh it was a treat having you on thanks oh thank you yeah man.